0: that's hypothetical, hyperthetical, H Y P E R T H E T I C A L.
1: Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks for Coming In. I'm your host, Jillian Clare. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. So nice to have you around and uh, hit that subscribe button if you like what you hear. Today on the show, we have Jason Stewart. You may know his face from Tangerine or The Birth of a Nation. He's also an incredible writer and author and everything. Um, He does it all and great comedian as well. So here is my conversation with Jason Stewart, and welcome to the show, Jason Stewart. Hello. How are you on this fine day?
2: Oh, just you know, I'm I'm grateful. I'm happy. I'm suicidal. I'm crazy. I'm <laughs> anxious. I'm uh, positive. I'm open. I'm closed. I'm a mother hey. and a sister. I'm Faye Dunaway in Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wow. Well, that's a lot to feel in one day. Um, but that's very me, human of me. you.
2: That's me. Very every, human every day.
1: I love that. Uh, so I was looking at your IMDb and your website before getting on here, and uh, thank you, you have, so much. <laughs> well, you've just been on on everything, and it seems like you're constantly working, whether it be on film and television or doing activism or, you know, doing your standup, what got you into this industry? What made you say, like, I need to entertain people?
2: Oh God, I was so young. I was <laughs> eight or nine and I used to watch I Love Lucy, you know, obsessively on television. And I thought it was so funny and I wanted to be Like that. I mean, I actually fell in love with all the people on television. They were sort of like Mm. my family. And I remember there was this thing called uh, the Fall Preview Show, it was a half hour show they would do and tell you what would be on for the next season. And I remember my family had gone up to Big Bear for a a short vacation and it was snowing. And in those days, you know, Mm. sometimes TV would just go off and you didn't have the, the antennas to get it right and i was obsessed right with being able to watch that show because i didn't (laughs) know who my family was going to be for the next year and that's how crazy i was as a kid i think i just didn't want to be me whoever i was i didn't want to be me
0: yeah
2: uh you know a little gay kid growing up in a crazy family with a Father that was a Holocaust survivor, and a mother from Brooklyn who was dirt poor. Mm. Who got married when they were very young. My mom was seventeen. My dad was twenty-two, and you know they they didn't really want to be married to each other. They were so young, pregnant, and all that kind of stuff. And they were fifty-five. You know, it was just sort of crazy. And you know, there was no place for me. I was looking for my spot. I was looking for someone to call my name. Mm. And then I remember that I did. I started doing. I did a play in my temple. I did community theater and school plays and, and uh, recreation play, hall plays. And I remember I did a play called Santa Claus for President. And I played Santa Claus. I think it's because I was the tallest kid or that, the most aggressive. I still don't know why they chose me. And I remember I, I did the whole play as if I were Lucille Ball pregnant because I had this fat suit on to be Oh Santa my Claus. gosh. So I remember how funny it was when she was in the chair. And trying to get up and all the things she did. And I and I did and I got all these laughs. And I remember Meyer Levine, who was the director of the center and the director of the play, came over to me and he said, he said, You want to do this, don't you, when you grow up? And I said, Yes. And I was 14. Mm. And that's when I started studying acting professionally after that.
1: Wow. Well, first off, that your family story sounds so Interesting, like you should write a book about it. <laughs>
0: well,
2: I did. It's called "Shut Up, I'm Talking."
1: <laughs> there we go.
2: And it came there out. There we go. In- yes, it's called "Shut Up, I'm Talking." Uh, coming out Hollywood and making it to the middle, which is available on my website through CCB Publishing or on Amazon and all the other places you can buy books.
1: And uh, it's done incredible.
2: Well. It's done nicely. It's done nicely, and it's a. If you like hearing me talk, I would say that's the way the book is.
1: Oh, see, I love that when you, when you're reading a book and you can hear the author's voice. I remember the first time I read an Anthony Bourdain book and it was like, oh, that is so clearly him. No one else could have written this.
2: Yes. I mean, I wrote it with somebody. The way I wrote it originally was on Skype and I, mm-hmm. uh, there was a guy who I, uh, who's a radio producer who's a radio show I used to do all the time called the Stephen DC show in St. in St. Louis. And uh he had written a book called The Half Book. And he had oh. this great guy, a Catholic, had gotten skin cancer and he talked about how he recovered from it and how his whole family what happened to his family and everything. And I, the book was funny and touching and I said, This is exactly the way you know I'd like my book to be. I wish I could find mm. someone like you, I said to him, to write it. He said, I'd love to. <laughs> and then I oh, was wow. <laughs> So for a year, I told him the stories. He wrote them down. He sent them back to me. I rewrote them. We wrote them together. Yeah. And then one weekend, I flew him to Los Angeles, and we spent the weekend Friday to Monday together and finished the book.
1: That's incredible. Wow. You're an author, too. What can't you do? (laughs)
2: Um, Well, one thing I learned from my dad is, is that if you can't do something well, Get someone who's great at it to help you. Mm. Find the person that does what you do or want to accomplish who's better than you.
1: That's that's very smart advice. I feel like that's really good advice too for independent filmmakers because I feel like a lot of times um, indie filmmakers, myself included, can put on too many hats and uh, try to do too many things when in reality it's going to be a lot better if you hire the people who are really good at what they do. And everyone creates together as a collaboration. A lot of times, you don't
2: have the money. That's the problem.
1: Yeah, that's the that's biggest the, problem.
2: <laughs> money is always the problem because would not it be an interesting world if money wasn't the problem? People just did things because it would be they so great. we change the whole concept of the way we walked around in life.
1: Yeah. So going back to uh, you know your your find, finding your passion when you were a teen. Um, what was your first steps after high school? Did you go to college for it? Did you move somewhere specifically for it?
2: I was crazy. So <laughs> I was also a gay kid growing up, you know, in, in in a time when people that were gay were basically shunned. And it's so different than your generation. I don't even know how to explain to you. I always think about it this way that if you're in the closet, it's like you're standing on the shoes, you're behind the clothes, you know, mm. every once in a while, somebody opens up a door, shines a light in your face, takes something out and slams the door shut. And that's how you make all your decisions. Mm. That's who I was. You know, there was hat boxes and shit in the way. And, you know, I couldn't, uh, I didn't see anything clearly. So that's how I did it. So when I was 17, uh, probably when I was went into high school, which was around 15, I had decided that I was going to figure out how to get out of high school as quickly as I could. So I got out of high school wow. for two and a half years. I got my own apartment when I was 18. I had just been 18 for two months. I got a job working in an answering service. And I started to pursue my career. What I would do is I would send my picture and resume to everybody that I could find. And I wrote, I'm a young character actor. I just did this film for USC, which I had done with this guy who was in my acting class. And I had done uh, nothing. I mean, I had no credits. I had done this theater, you mm-hmm. know, and then I'm the first person that met me was um, Pat Dixon, Pam Dixon, who was the head of casting at um, mm. uh, ABC. And I remember going in there. I remember what I was wearing. I remember wow. the interview. And I remember being shunned constantly, not by her specifically, but by almost everyone Mm. because of who I was. I think that I I read as a young gay person and I, you know, I didn't know who I was. I remember, Mm. you know, as a kid that if you fell in love with Robert Redford, who were you left to be but Barbra Streisand? Do you know what I mean? You didn't have any picture of who you could be and and who your personality was. And you weren't able to um, grow as a human being in the same way. And that's all in the book called Shut Up, I'm Talking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Read it more. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, I can't imagine that because my generation has been so lucky and it's because your generation went through the worst of it.
2: Uh, don't, yeah, that's, that makes me emotional. Thank you. Yeah. That's so I mean, for me to hear. Because a lot of people don't say that. And I, I say it all the time that I am standing on the shoulders of so many other people that walk before me. And mm-hmm. I. that's so important to me. And, I, and, and you know, I say their names all the time. People like Bruce Valanche and um, Robin Tyler and people who just walk the walk. And some of them didn't have, you know, big careers because of it. Yeah.
1: You know?
2: And some of them, you know, completely... Yeah. Uh, lost who they were. And I realized that as I, you know, as mm-hmm. I, I became a comedian because I couldn't get a job as an actor. I, well, I, this is earlier than when you probably out of your order of questions, but I went to the open call for The Outsiders and Rumblefish, the film Coppola was directing, of those children's books. And I thought oh. this is perfect for me. I yeah. am a character actor. I can go in and be this. And I remember what I wore, I wore a vest and a shirt a, a collarless shirt with jeans and cowboy boots and I, my hair parted down the middle and it was layered and I was cute and I remember walking in and they just completely dismissed me I was completely dismissed mm. I wasn't uh, you know a, a soch and I wasn't a, a biker kid or whatever the other kids were called and I wasn't and no one was willing to look a little deeper or, t- or say maybe maybe one of the kids was a gay kid or maybe one of you know Maybe somebody mm-hmm. was a little different. Nobody was, there was no willingness yeah. or openness to that. And it broke me. All that kind of stuff broke me. It broke yeah. me. And I, and I walked around like a broken dish trying to figure out who I was. And I was funny. The, the comedy helped me and I became a comedian. And then uh, that's what saved me. But no matter, every time I go back and I say my career, you know, our careers go up and down and up and down. And whenever there's a down, I go, what do yep. I really want to do? Who do I really want to be? And I always wanted to be a great character actor. That's where my, you know, love is. Mm. Even my stand-up is somewhat of a character. It's really not me anymore.
1: Wow, what was what was the first job that you had on a set where you felt like you were being accepted?
2: Well, the first job I did was a show called Life and Times of Eddie Roberts. It was a nighttime comedy soap opera. And I played mm. a pot-smoking ping-pong player. I believe I was <laughs> in high school. I was 19 when I did it. It was four scenes. It was a guest star. And I thought that was it. I thought I was, yeah. going, to get, you know, I was going to get these parts. I dropped out of college, community college, because I never went to regular college because I was too scared. I was afraid to be in mm. college because I was afraid that I was going to meet the same kids in high school, I was so in, you know, so in my own head, I never talked about anything. I never talked about the physical abuse or the mental abuse of going through school. And, uh, and what it mm. did to me, because if I said it out loud, then I would have to admit that it happened. And then I was humiliated.
1: You have to you deal say, with Because hey, that. I'm
2: a black person and they treat me badly. Hey, I'm a Latin person, they treat me badly. Hey, I'm a woman, but you can't say, hey, I'm a gay person because then they'll say you're gay. And it, mm. it's even, you know, even now, even though um, gay people are so much more accepted, especially in the last 10 years there, you know, somebody knows you're in one way, you still get limited to what they think you can play a lot of times. And it's natural that people do that Mm -hmm. because you only, if you can't see it, then, you know, some people can't see past things or they can't see a gay person Mm -hmm. being in a powerful position. They, they're, they see them being and is more you know a victim and there aren't very many parts for gay people over 50. just they just aren't so mm. um uh so that I forgot where we were I totally got lost
1: <laughs> uh the the, sh- the first show that you did like oh, the first, so and uh, TV series that, you that did. was
2: the first show they and the first movie I did was a movie called the Lost Emperor, not the last empire, not the Bertolucci film. It was the <laughs> Lost. It was a, it was an exploitation film that Jim Winarski directed. Robert Tessier was the star. You probably older people might remember him as being one of the stars of the movie uh, The Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds. He was the bald guy, in mm. it. and in our, our movie, they kept putting eyebrows on him, and they kept I don't know why, but they were different in every shot. <laughs> I play a gay dude number one. <laughs> I swear to God, my manager got me this part by having lunch with this guy. I had a manager who I talked into managing me after they, she saw me in a showcase and I worked part-time in her office trying to get her to stop drinking and spending her money. And we went on, and I thought, oh, I'm going to be, I told everyone I'm playing this character role. I'm going to be a gay guy and a thing. And my one line was, give me back my purse. And he said to me, I'm being mugged in the film. And he said to me, wear a very uh, blousy, flamboyant shirt. So I brought a very blousy, flamboyant shirt. And he said, no, this is all wrong. You know. And then he looked at the makeup girl and he said, you, switch shirts with him. She was wearing a little top that was striped, blue blue, blue stripes going across it. Uh, it was two sizes too small for me. I look like Philip Seymour Hoffman in Boogie Nights. It was probably one of the most degrading, oh, no. you know, uh, Experiences, and I thought, and you know, I, he also wanted me to wear an ascot, and I said, "Look, I'm not Thurston Howell third on Gilligan's Island. It's, it's, you know, it's the 80s, it's, you know." Right. And I talked him out of that, but that's the way my career went for a very long time. The second job I got was on the Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. playing a butler to a dog. You know what I mean? I just didn't have. There was no place for me. Wow. So I started doing stand-up, and I was funny, and then I started getting work, and then I went on Star Search. And I won an episode and, and I started traveling and then by nineteen probably Star was,
1: Search. I forgot about that show.
2: Oh yeah. I was I won one episode and I lost one to Martin Lawrence. And if you go online, oh, wow. you can see uh, me and Martin Lawrence, I stamp my foot and I walk off when I lose. I thought that would be really funny. <laughs> and in the day it was, but then mm. on YouTube and its years have passed people have said some pretty uh, awful things about me. <laughs> On that.
1: Oh, oh, the internet, the internet. not yes. always the best place. <laughs> uh what was i going to say? I just I'm I'm in awe of your story and very inspired and I hope that people who are listening to to this talk actually truly truly listen to it because i feel like there's a lot of really good life lessons that you've been talking about. And I think it's important for us, especially in the entertainment industry. um, Like you said, it's been getting better in the past 10 years, but I think it's really important for us to consistently remember the past so that we don't repeat that. And so that we're, we're being open-minded in casting processes and producing and things that we're doing constantly. I think it's really important for us to remember how it has been so that we can make it better
0: you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop while working eating or even listening to this podcast and however you shop we all know and love the thrill of the hunt but do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals because Rakuten shoppers do with Rakuten they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back and you can get it too Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
3: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God. And we, are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
2: Well, there's a certain, you know, women have done something in the last f- f- five years with the Me Too moment, uh, movement that has really changed the, um, the fabric of how we do things. And mm-hmm. women, you know, they, they, it's, it's, it's not a simple thing. You know, when I was a kid, every movie you saw, there was a beautiful woman, and then there was this guy that wanted to get with her, and she was not interested in him at all, said no a million times, and by the end of the movie, they were together. You know, Yeah, look, it's look it's
1: at, the enemies to lovers trope.
2: Right, which is exactly what the Me Too movement is sort of about. Look at look at Greece, the movie that is considered one of the biggest family movies of all time. He has an affair with her in the summer. She goes on a date with him when they get to high school. She won't he he comes on to her and, and gropes her in the car and grabs her and, and tries to molest mm-hmm. her. She says no. They sing summer nights. She obviously has by the end of the movie has sex with him and wears black, comes back, and then she's in. And they say and, yeah. and, and the song is You're the One I Want, you know. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So right. I mean their whole movie is about date rape. I mean. You know, it's it's it, it, mm. it's I'm ruining everybody's thing, but I mean that's what that movie is about. So the confusingness in in life now of where everything is at, and where you take it to casting, you know, you take it that a certain kind of woman, a certain kind of man, the ways people look, that of well, what we consider attractive and sexual and wanting to um, uh, wanting to cast. And the ones that are and the ones that aren't, you know, women like to be so thin now, you know, whereas a lot mm-hmm. of men or a lot of people don't find that attractive, but yet it's told in the movies that it is. Yeah. That, that sort of thin boyish kind of body that, you know, and or with fake boobs or not, or or with not, you know, and, and it, what what it what we're doing now is the whole idea of, of um, how we're casting things and what we see and what is what and who can play what to who, you know, and how your how your career goes, it, it's all up for grabs right now. I think it's all completely um, yeah. It, it's changed the whole uh, landscape of how things are being done and what's attractive, what isn't, what's a romantic lead, what isn't a romantic lead, you know, all that kind of mm-hmm.
1: stuff. I agree. I. I was reading uh Kate Winslet has been really um vocal about not who, who wanting to
2: Kate,
1: Kate uh Kate Winslet.
2: Oh Kate Winslet, She's yeah. been very
1: vocal about not like yeah, not like caking on makeup and being real and portraying women in a real light rather than this like sexualized version of them all the time. And that's what I loved with watching her show um Mare of Easttown that just was on HBO. You could see that it was it was raw. It looked raw. It looked real. And it didn't have that, oh, let me put on my fake eyelashes bull crap that right. I, I'm i sick of seeing. It's like I don't need to see another woman flash her eyelashes for me to think unless she's pretty. Unless that's
2: part of the character. Unless unless, like when Julia, right, unless it's the I, thing. When Julia Roberts was in 20 years ago and did Aaron Brockowicz, that was a woman who liked to look very sexual and was in a right. very powerful position. That was her choice. And she even said it. You know, and if it's part of the character, and if you if you really watched Mayor of East Town very closely, she did wear makeup in it, and she
1: wore it, but it wasn't like it wasn't that like caked on thing. No,
2: and and she was wearing a wig.
1: Was that a wig? I was wondering because like I'm sort of wig expert. Are you because
2: I used to wear hair pieces when I was younger because I lost my hair so young? So I, I, but I didn't wear hair pieces, I wore wigs that were from the studio with that the lace fronts and everything. And I, yeah, I could hers was one of the best I've ever seen. But you notice those two strands of hair on the front would always hang and they didn't seem collected to the other. That's when you can know, you know, and then you saw her in other things when she was younger in the film and she had blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Completely, that was her real hair, you know. But I'm, I'm sure Kate it People probably. She still wants to be attractive. What, what I think she's saying right. is to be more nuanced. Is that it's okay to age on mm-hmm. camera? You don't have to be. You don't have to be plastic surgeryed out.
1: Right. You know. Well, and I talk about that with uh, with my best friend a lot. We talk about how plastic surgery, especially for women, I think can can really ruin a career. Because mm-hmm. I can't play a sixty-year-old woman when I'm sixty if I've had a crap ton of plastic surgery. Like it's not going to look right, and it's not going to be for the character. Maybe if it was, you know, a woman who lived in the OC and was really rich and whatever, sure. But it's not going to be the the real characters that actors. Well, you in your castle
2: very much, so but yet. At the, t- My mom was 84. will always look at somebody. She says, how can that woman be the same age as me? I said, Ma, she's had it all done. She's both yeah. and, and, you know, plumped and everything, you know, they're all <laughs> doing this. It's just crazy. Oh,
1: gosh. Uh, well, on this show, we like to share um, audition stories that have either gone awry or things that have gone good. Um, what Do you have an audition story that you would like to share oh, I, with I the so listeners? M-
2: so many. I'll give you one real quick one first. But I'll give you a couple little ones. So I remember going in to, when they were taping me for something and someone your age, I'm assuming you're in your 20s, right? Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, and they just start and then they go, okay. And they walk in the room and they just start. And I think I said, hold on. I'm not even in the room yet. You know, let's, let's, let's give me a second to, to, you know, there's sometimes people are completely so, um, in their own day. So I say for people who are actors, listen to this, you can say, Hey, hold on a second, you know, and you can take your power yeah. and people are always worried about being too nice. I'm listening to clubhouse all the time these days. And you look, listen to a lot of the casting rooms and there seems to be so much about making the casting director, or the producer or director on a pedestal rather than just making them people who you're just people you're working with. They're your peers, you know, Mm -hmm. and there is some, something said to the idea. I have a manager who now says that I'm too nice. I'm too easy. I compromise too much. And uh, you know, that I, and and now I start to say no to things, which I never did before. Uh, But some really bad Mm -hmm. auditions, I guess are funny. I was auditioning once for, I think it was a, (laughs) a TV pilot, and um, I had left, well, I don't want to tell you, I had gone in, red and then I, I left, I said, thank you very much, and then they chased me out, and that's my fantasy, that's my fantasy, is to be chased after my audition when I leave, and I just walk out, and <laughs> yeah. it's- down the hall and they said, I want that boy, you know, and then the whole camera freezes and I get the part. Well, they didn't, they, they had just forgotten. I had just forgotten my briefcase of pictures and resumes. <laughs> That's how it, they said, here, take oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I think some, I, I, Joyce Selznick, who was a very big uh, head of uh, one of the networks. I had gone in for uh, one of the many pilots they tried to do of the Archie comic book. I walked in. She was wearing glasses. Mm. This, I'll let you see. They can't see. She was wearing glasses like this, reader glasses. And she was looking at something. And she looked up for me <laughs> and she said, she said, too old. And that was it. And I turned around and I walked in the closet. What? I walked into the closet because I, I was so nervous. And I said, um, you know, and she said, Jason, come out of the closet. And that was the beginning of how my career started. Uh, um. <laughs> I've I've gone and read for a lot of people who didn't really want to read me. Mm. That's the, the story. They didn't really want to read me and really didn't think I could do stuff. And I could feel it. That's that, that, wow. that my agent or manager or some friend who was a producer had pushed, you know, to get me in on things. And I have to say that I've gotten a lot of those parts, but that's always really hard. You know, that's always yeah. really hard to, uh, that idea, and I've also been in the position where someone has a really big, big writer, producer, director two years ago uh, suggested me for a part on his series. I won't say who it was, hmm. but I, when I got there, the casting directors couldn't have been more not. It was like, oh my god, who am I? You know, and it was my part to lose, so it's wow. happened the other way too. Um, I think sometimes yeah. when you're there was one casting director who used to cast a very popular sitcom. And I remember I moved the chair. She says, don't touch the chair. Just like that. That's exactly what. My, you know, and that, I remember things like that, when you're doing stuff, can pull you out of stuff. So, But I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that if somebody's tone or something could pull you out of something. And these are all little actor things. mm mm-hmm you know that you have to make sure you you've eaten before you go to an audition make sure you're rested make sure you're focused and and you're in the moment if you don't really want to talk to someone say hey i'd like to read first and then we can talk you can say what you want to say most of the time yeah. they want you to you know, they want you to be the one they want their job to be done i would guess right um, right
1: they they want to be able to go to the director and say hey i found the person let's move on
2: I had one casting director who I know socially and every time I've gone in, she would just line read me to death and just, you know, and once I went into one of her auditions and this was probably, it's gotta be 10 or 12 years ago. And I've seen her socially since, and she's a lovely gal. And I remember she said, she said, we didn't. We didn't know whether we, we. We thought you were great, but we didn't know how to hire you because we thought you were just so funny in the room. We didn't think we. We thought that you would be out of control on the set, and I was being. I decided to go what? in the room and not let her. And I was funny from the beginning to the get-go. You know, I just. You know, it's just trying to do, to do something very different and just sort of. You know, take yeah. her over the room rather than be apologetic. So I went way the other way, but. You know, instead of calling and giving me the part, why couldn't she just say, hey, you know, when you come to the set, you know, you know oh, of course. I was just trying to, you know, do this. There's no, com- that, a lot of times there's no conversation. Right. I was on a sitcom that, that um, this was 15 years ago. And there was a, um, it w- I was a guest star. It was two scenes and I played a shop owner of a little boutique and it was a gay part. And I'd gotten the part from Every gay guy in Hollywood was there. Even the late Rick Taylor was there. I believe who was in the room, if I remember wow. correctly, was uh, Patrick Bristow, Alec Mappa, myself, somebody else. I think it was maybe Drew Droji, I can't remember. But all these gay guys from, you know, 30s to 60s were in this room. And I got the part. I went on the set. Did the table read. They laughed hysterically. Then I then we had <laughs> a, a reading for the producers on a Tuesday, which on a sitcom, which they never do. It was unusual.
1: No, that's and weird. we were all
2: sort of awkwardly doing it, and there were some laughs. And then the next day, I got called. I was fired. What? And they said they decided they were going another way, and it was devastating to me. No one called me and said, "Hey, can you play this a different way?" We've decided the part is going to go this way. No one ever gave me an opportunity. They just said you're gone. And what I heard wow. by the director of the show three weeks later is that they decided to go with somebody. Uh, they decided to go another way, and some. Uh, uh, the director told me that one of the producers on the show had a bug up his ass that he didn't want a gay guy to be on the show. Yet it was a gay part that he didn't want the gay character on it, and. It's funny. One of the exec, one of the uh, consulting producers was a writing partner of mine at one time. She never called me. Mm. One of the stars of the show was a comedian friend of mine, and she was the only one that called me that day. And I'll never wow. forget her for that. And it, it, the way the casting director thanked me. Do you remember the movie uh, When a Man Loves a Woman, with uh, Meg Ryan and Eddie mm-hmm. Garcia? Well, she leaves. She's so drunk that she leaves her kid. In, at the cleaners and, and gets home and realizes she doesn't have a kid with her and, how, and then they looked up her credit card they found the thing they went to her house they brought her the kid she was panicked right and the way she thanked her was to never mm-hmm. go back to that store well that's what that casting director did they never called me right. in again until this year they called me in for a wow. boring role which I almost turned down the audition because I don't want to do you know co-stars but it was a real fun part but that, that's what happened. People get so embarrassed, so unable to communicate. And I don't think they did it maliciously in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. I just think there's so many people that can't pick up the phone and say, hey, this is what happened. Or can you do this differently? And I
3: would go, sure.
1: Yeah.
3: I'm I mean, that's, that's our a-
1: job as actors is to be directed and told what to do and had or not told what to do but you know given given that direction so that we can make it what the creators
2: but want not, for, it to not be. for a lot this was 15 16 years ago not for a gay person once you're gay, right. you're gay and i was known for being an openly gay comedian and i can understand why they would feel that because mm-hmm. that's all they knew of me, and I had played tons of gay parts. I was the gay shrink on my wife and kids. I had been, I played the gay manager on Will, Will and Grace. I had done all, you know, Norm Show. I played the ex-gay guy. I, I mean, I'd done it on all these shows, but I was not able to get a series, or I had ten different deals for series. But you know, finally somebody said to me, "Look, there's no way a gay guy who is a gay guy is going to get that part." You know, I mean, Sean mm. uh, Hayes, who was on Will and Grace for whatever the eight years that they were on, yeah. was in the closet the whole time. He refused to say he was gay in public. And he had later apologized for that when he got an award wow. at Glad, which I thought was tremendous. You know, he realized yeah. when he got out of the closet, the power of it and how being in had hurt other people and hurt the movement. Wow. Though he was on the most popular gay show on television, that was such, and he, his, his portrayal and his work. Everybody also probably thought he was out. That's what was so interesting, the dichotomy of that. Everybody would say, oh, he's, I said, no, he's never said it, you know. And he would be the only mm-hmm. one, you know, he was the only gay person in his cast of a gay show. Yeah. I mean, it's no mistake yeah. that they chose Eric McCormick. You know, Harvey Milk always said, uh, oh, a gay guy in power. Ah, that's scary. That's a quote that I'm probably saying wrong, but that was a quote. There's the, the the power of us having opinions about who we are and how we're going to do things. You know, when I read mm-hmm. Sharon Stone's book, who I had known a teeny bit from my acting uh, teacher Roy London, you know, very powerful woman. But when the head the, at the height of her fame, she was not offered the parts that somebody like her, so she tried to create her own things and did her own stuff, you know, because she had to show people that she just wasn't this sex bombshell, that she could do other things. And she did Yeah. You you have to take, you know, people, for actors at home going, oh, well, they're not, you know, they're thinking that I'm this or that. Well, you need to do low-budget films, student films, shorts, and create work so you can say, hey, look what I can do. And I. that's what I... It started to do 10 or 12 years ago after getting off the road uh, in in nightclub. That's what I started to do.
1: And you have a a show called Smothered that you wrote and acted in. Is that right?
2: Yes. I created a show called Smothered, which is about these two guys who have been in a relationship for 30 years who hate each other but can't afford to get divorced. And what's so funny is my manager said the other day, now people are going to think about you being gay again because four years ago, I was in the movie Birth of a Nation where I played a white heterosexual Christian plantation right. owner in 1831. So, you know, he said, but now because of everything, it's I can play, I can go back to doing funny things and, and people still know that I can do more than, that I'm not a one trick pony. And this, honestly, in this character, is right. such a victim. I've never played, a character like this gay or straight someone that just completely mm. is sort of a dim bulb and and stuff and we are actually being considered for an emmy nomination for for um short form we're on the hey. list to be nominated so if is a tv academy member um we're we're for your consideration so uh which was really just yeah you know, shocking i couldn't believe that it worked out it's 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 seven five minute episodes and they're on it's on Amazon but you can also watch it on a, a lot of other platforms by going to smothertv.com if you don't have Amazon.
1: yay and, uh, well, thank you so much Jason for coming on the show. This has been a um, a very Beautiful conversation. I don't think I've ever had such a, a deep talk on this show before, and I really, it's, oh my. it's very important. My voice went so high. <laughs> I've we you know I've talked about um you know drug addiction issues with um somebody who was on the show a few months ago and what his struggle was, and um you know we've talked about other other issues within the industry before, but I feel like this has been the most heartfelt one with with the biggest lessons. And so I thank you for that because I think it's really important um, for us to talk about this and for people to learn a little and listen and, you know, keep their ears open.
2: Well, I'll leave you with this. So for those people out there who people think are one trick pony and that whoever that their stereotype or whoever they are, they think is limited or they want to do more than just that. I worked really, really hard. I kept showing up. I went back to class. I worked on playing different kinds of characters. I saw an ad in the paper that said they were uh, shooting um, films for tax breaks all over the country. I got a New Orleans agent and mm. I got a part in a movie called The Birth of a Nation, where I played a, a slave owner, a major supporting role with eight scenes. I went to Sundance with it. I went to Montreal Comedy Festival, uh, sorry, Mont Tiff uh, Film Festival. And that part changed my life. I, I finally got to be in a movie with a part that was important to the, to the, to the, uh, to the film and also um, important to uh, the story and, and working with people who w- w- raised me up. And the kind of film yeah. that I wanted to be a part of the life story of Nat Turner, that when people went to the movie theater, it changed their way of thinking. And that was my dream. Not that the Mm -hmm. other films that I did, there were comedies that were not wonderful that made people laugh where I had nice supporting roles. But this one really held special to me as a human. That someone can go into the movie theater like I did as a kid, look at something and see something completely different and be so moved by it. And I say it this way, keep showing up.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: That's half the battle. Even if you're scared, I, I'm uncomfortable and nervous and scared all the time. Yeah, you know it's okay.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, where can people follow you on social media to keep up with
2: your go show Jason, and your work and your books? Go to jasonstewart.com, S-T-U-A-R-T, and all my social media is there. You can click on to everything very easily. You don't have to look at anything because some of them is the uh, Jason Stewart underscore, and, you know, and everything is right there. Right. So it's easier to go to one place and you can see clips, you can buy my book, you can buy my new comedy CD, you can read about what's Fantastic. happening next, and or you can just send me an email and say, hey, what's going on? I answer all my own stuff.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to um, see what you do next. And thank you for being uh, such an inspiring actor and person and activist and, and for, you know keeping a smile on people's faces.
2: Well, thank you, Jillian. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on the show and seeking me out.
1: Thank you again to Jason for coming on the show and talking with me. Uh, We don't have many conversations on the show that are so uh, open and enlightening and powerful. So it was a great joy to be able to share that today with you. Make sure to subscribe to the show and uh, wherever you're listening to it right now. And follow us on social media. We post some really fun stuff over there. And as always, thanks for coming in.
3: Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new or perhaps something very... Very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favorite children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Redolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.